So let's talk about the good and the bad and the ugly of betrayal. The good, the good of betrayal? Is there such a thing as the good of betrayal? Am I just saying that so that you guys will remember the three points of my sermon? The good, the bad, and the ugly? I think the good of betrayal, the only good of betrayal, is that if we, if we love someone, if we give our heart to someone, if we give our heart to others, at some point we will be hurt. We will be betrayed. And so in that sense, it's, it's pretty much universal. That, that, that we're hurt. Um, we, we are not very good in our Western world at suffering and at hurting. You know, it's, it's taught to us, it's taught and it's caught that at an early age, you know, that, that we should live a nice life, that bad things shouldn't happen to us because we're good people, we're nice people, that nothing bad will really happen to us. I don't know where we pick up those ideas. I don't know how we communicate that to them. But that's certainly been my experience and from so many others. And when we're so focused on this life and having a nice life here, we feel surprised and shocked when people hurt us. But when you look at God's word and when you study the Bible, you see that Jesus is not surprised by this. That Jesus knows and acknowledges that this is how it's going to be. That people are going to hurt each other. Let's look at verse 21. He says, The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. That's how the NIV puts it. And in Eugene Peterson, the message translation, he says, In one sense, it turns out that the Son of Man is entering into a way of treachery well marked by the scriptures. No surprises here. So Jesus is just telling his disciples, his friends, this is how it always goes for the prophet, for the one that speaks the word of God. There are no surprises for Jesus. He knows he's going to have to walk this path, but he's not shocked by the brokenness of men around him. He's not shocked by the brokenness of the world because Jesus knows. And look, look at the Bible. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve betray God. And then what happens? They have children, Cain and Abel. And Cain betrays his brother Abel. And on and on it goes. Human history is this story of people hurting each other even stabbing each other in the back, even betraying people with a kiss. Jesus knows that it'll happen. He's predicted it again and again. He said, they're going to turn me over. They're going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed. And now it's really happening. That's a fulfillment of so many of the Old Testament prophecies, especially Isaiah 53. It says that he was despised and rejected. It says that he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. That's what's happening to Jesus, the suffering servant, the Messiah that has come. The good of betrayal, the good of suffering, is that it happens to so many of us, 
so that we can be there for each other, so that we can support each other. If you love, you're making yourself vulnerable. You're making yourself open to being hurt. My former pastor used to say that vulnerability is giving somebody the bullets to shoot you with. So when we're vulnerable, when we're loving, when we're open, when we reveal ourselves and give ourselves over to someone in friendship, in romantic relationships, even in a working relationship where there has to be trust, you're giving somebody the bullets to shoot you with. And hopefully when they shoot you, it's just a flesh wound. Hopefully they don't shoot you in the head or in the heart. And yet we're making ourselves vulnerable. There's an old cliche that says it's better to love, to have loved and lost, than never to have loved at all. And it's a cliche. It's a cliche. But there's a reason it's a cliche. There's a reason we still say it. The good of betrayal and the bad of betrayal. The bad of betrayal is that the pain runs so deep and that it really, really hurts. And even it hurts Jesus. It hurts Jesus. We remember that Jesus experienced all the emotions that we experience. That he was 100% human and 100% God. I don't know how that works mathematically, but it, but it works out. Jesus experienced all the highs and lows. He experiences this rejection. Listen to what he says. I mean, they're too afraid to bring it up. Judas is never going to bring it up. And so Jesus says, one of you sitting at the table with me is going to betray me. One who is eating with me. And they were sad, and they kind of go around the table And they all say, oh, it's not I, it's not I, it's not I. Keep in mind that within a few hours, Judas will betray with a kiss. Peter will abandon him. The rest will run off, frightened. So in a sense, they're all abandoning him. And you know what's crazy after this? After this prediction after knowing that one of them is going to betray them what does he do does he get angry with them does he throw them out no he serves them communion he serves them communion he teaches them about his body and his blood and what he's going to do this message this meal he brings them in closer he even washes their feet washes the feet of his betrayer what love what sacrifice In another, in another rendition of this passage, Matthew always gives us uh, a little more. Remember in our first sermon from Pastor Scott Jose, he talked about Mark. It's so action-packed. It moves so quickly. Well, in Matthew, you have it drawn out a little more. And he, he writes that Judas says to Jesus, Is it I, Lord? And Jesus essentially says, Don't play games with me, Judas. Go and do what you're going to do. So he does, and he goes out. And then we see that betrayal later in verses 44 to 46. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. 
Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. That's the betrayal. That's what he's done. And it leads to this pain and this emotional anguish for Jesus. Jesus is suffering. He's truly suffering. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. So when I'm hurt, when I'm betrayed, when I'm let down by a friend, when I feel abandoned, when I feel like someone stabbed me in the back, I'm not talking to an aloof God. I'm not talking to a God who's way up there, who's unconcerned. I'm not talking to a deist God who started the world and just kind of watches it. I'm talking to Jesus who's come in the flesh and who knows what it's like to be betrayed. I'm talking to someone who knows what it's like to be let down, who knows what it's like to suffer. But what do we do? This is the bad of betrayal. What do we do with all this pain? Well, three things that, three things that people do, three things that I probably do, three things that the people who come into my office do is ignore it, numb it, or bring it to God. We, we ignore it. You know, we just sort of think, ah, we get angry and then we move on. But it doesn't work. There's a saying in, in the, this world. It, it's, it says the body knows. The body knows. The body knows when it's been hurt. The body knows when it's experienced trauma. Richard Rohr says, pain that is not trans, transformed is transmitted. Pain that is not transformed and given to God and used for him is transmitted, is given to other people. We've had others in the church that have said to me, hurt people hurt people. Right? When we're hurt, when we're feeling betrayed, we go and do that to others. Here's a little more of what Richard Rohr says. If we cannot find a way to make our wounds into sacred wounds, we invariably give up on life and humanity. I'm afraid there are bitter and blaming people everywhere, both inside and outside of the church. As they go through life, the hurts, disappointments, betrayals, abandonments, and the burden of their own sin pile up and they don't know how to deal with all this negativity. If there isn't some way to find deeper meaning to our suffering, to find that God is somehow in it, and can even use it for good, we will normally close up and hurt, close up and close down. But when we, when we are transformed by God, he uses the worst things that have happened to us for his good, for his glory, even eventually to help others. That's why in AA and in recovery, there's the idea of a sponsor, someone who's been numbing their pain for a long time through alcohol, through drugs. They've found healing. They've transformed the pain, the things that have happened to them, and they want to help others. But so often we, we numb We numb the pain, we numb the hurt through alcohol, through drugs, 
through pornography, through food, through busyness, through other addictions. And we think that it'll go away. And yet, when we're quiet, when we're still, we realize there's a reason we run to these things. There's a reason for that pain. And if it's not transformed, it's transmitted, it's given, it's passed along. We end up hurting other people, which we don't want to do. The third option is the step of faith, bringing it to God, lamenting. Lamenting is, a, is an amazing first step. It's, it's, it's this incredible concept for our world today. We've kind of forgotten about it. The Psalms were doing it 3,000 years ago. Yet I don't know if we know how to lament today. Lament is crying out to God at the brokenness of the world. It's asking God why. Why are you like this? If you don't know how to lament, go to the Psalms and use them as your prayer. Ask God why. Cry out to him. In we, as we lament, we are remembering that there is way more to life than what we see. That there is a just judge who will rule the universe, who will make everything right. That we don't need to control everything or take every situation into our own hands. We don't want to live you know, an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. We remember that God is there, that he is in control, that he is the judge. We remember that, that life is hard. That life is hard, but God is good. Life is difficult. If we love, we'll be hurt. And yet God's goodness overcomes that. Job wrestles with this. The book of Job wrestles with all of this, with why things happen, with with betrayal, with hurt, with brokenness. And Job was able to say, for I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed in my flesh, I'll see God. Job longed for the day when God would be on this earth and would renew his creation. We have that in Jesus. The good, the bad, and the ugly of betrayal. The ugly of betrayal, that's where we come to the crucifixion. That's where we really think about and really reflect on why we call it Good Friday. Because it was a good day. Even though Jesus was betrayed, it was the time when Jesus turned the most ugly thing into beauty, where he took ashes and made them beautiful, where like a phoenix he rose up, where Jesus was able to say on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. I wonder if he was even thinking about Judas. Judas, who who took his own life. Father, forgive him and her and them, for they don't know what they're doing. The Apostle Paul took up this theme, this theme of betrayal, this theme of God's love for his enemies. In Romans 5, he wrote, While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, 
though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how do we love our betrayers? How do we love the people that have hurt us? We do it through the gospel. We do it by remembering that we have hurt others, that we have betrayed others. But foundationally, even in Psalm 51, David talks about how he sinned against God. He didn't just sin with Bathsheba. He sinned against God. He betrayed God and his love. You have to be honest with yourself and realize what you're capable of. That you could be a Peter who would run off, who would abandon Jesus in his time of need. That we're all even capable of of the horrible thing that Judas did. C.S. Lewis wrote, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable, because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. He's rescued me and given a new life. And he's done the same for so many of you. We are able to love the people that have hurt us because we realize that we're more broken than we thought. We're more broken than we thought, and that's the bad news. But the good news is that we're more loved than we can even imagine. We're loved through all the bad choices, through all the foolishness, through all the things we look for other than God. We're loved through that. We're loved more than we can even imagine or dream of. And that love is an unceasing, forever love that starts now and goes into eternity forever. We will not slip out of his hands. We don't do it on our own. We don't try to be nice to people that have hurt us in our own strength. We don't grip and try and just try to be nicer. God does that through us. God transforms us, our heart, so that we can actually love the people that have hurt us. The person that divorced us, the co-worker that betrayed us, the person we let into our lives who stole from us, they can be forgiven through the gospel. God can forgive us, and we can extend that to others. We see our own need for forgiveness. We see our own brokenness. We see what God has done for us and how much he's forgiven of us, and we extend that to others. Forgiving our betrayers is made possible. It's made possible by the cross because of what Jesus did there. He gave his life for Judas, He gave his life for all of his enemies. He gave his life for those that betrayed him and turned against him. He gave his life for those Roman soldiers that beat him and abused him. And that's a picture of God's love for all of his people. Jesus forgiving his betrayer. That is love. Would you please pray with me? Lord, when we hear about your power, 
when we hear about the good news. It seems a small thing to say thank you, and yet it's the only words that we have to give our lives back in gratitude, to not transmit the pain, to not hurt others, but to be transformed by the gospel, to be transformed by you, that you would remake us from the inside out so that we would be not just people that are wounded, but wounded healers, people who walk with a limp like Jacob and yet keep walking with you. God, we've all been bruised. We've all been beaten by life. We've all been kicked in the teeth a couple times because we've all loved. We've all given ourselves to others. God, move in our hearts. Speak to us that we might forgive even those that have betrayed us, even those that have stabbed us in the back as you did for Judas, as you did for all your enemies. We look to you, Jesus, as our strength, as our rock, as our foundation, and pray that you would move through us by your Spirit. We can't do it on our own. We daily look to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.